Good morning. Oh, there you are. I knew there was more people out there than that. So I'm going to do just a quick recap. There's some of you I just hadn't seen in a little bit, so I don't want to just leave you hanging out there. I'm, I'm picking up, we're working our way through Psalms 23. You go, you were working your way through Psalms 23 the last time I saw you. You were right. Uh, we've been kind of tied off to verse 3 here for quite a few weeks. And uh, so we, we've, let me just read it. Psalms 23.3 says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And um, righteousness, we, we, we spent some time developing this. And so righteousness, i give you a few terms, give you just, just a little bit of footing to stand on today as we move into this next part. Righteousness is how God sees it, okay? Um, if, if you take any hot topic today, I don't care what it is, God has a way that he looks at it. That's righteous, okay? Um, the way we look at it, the way we may view it from our own understanding or from the information we have from this world, it doesn't amount to righteousness. It's how God sees it, right? God is right all the time, oh, right? Anybody think God's wrong? All right, I mean, but we live that way sometimes, don't we? Yeah, God, I know you say that, but I know this. Right? Who's righteous? God's righteous. It's how he sees us. That's righteousness. And so then we, out of this, we talked about repentance because in the, in the Hebrew of Jesus' day, repentance meant something. And it didn't mean saying, I'm sorry. Repentance meant to turn away from how I see, right? I recognize I'm wrong. But I turn away from from my way, from leaning on my own understanding. And I turn and I look to align myself with how God sees it. That's repentance. Okay. And so we talked about how repentance isn't just appropriate after the fact that we have obviously sinned. Repentance actually has its greatest work before we ever do anything. Because what we do is we take a posture of repentance. It's a humility. And we come before God and we go, God, I recognize that I don't see it the way you do ever without your help. In Isaiah 55, it says, as far as God's ways or his ways are as far above mine as the heavens are above the earth. So far are your ways above mine. I, I don't think like God. I see dimly. I, I, I yes, I, I look in his word, but you know what? Some of the greatest travesties that we know of have been people who misinterpret the word of God. Right? Right? So, so obviously it's not just a matter of me getting knowledge, putting it in my knowledge banks and going out and do it. I want to be aligned with how God sees it. And I've found in my life so many times, it, God takes more time to rearrange the information and get it in the right place than he does to teach me something new because some of my greatest struggles haven't been because I didn't know the information. It's because I had the information in the wrong place, right? So, so when we take that posture of repentance, and I said this, uh, there was a place for repentance in the Garden of Eden before sin. If Adam and Eve would have turned away 
from how they were seeing it and turned back and realigned themselves with how God saw it. Problem averted. Repentance had a place before sin ever took place. And repentance has a place in our lives. Before we ever do anything good or bad, I I love getting up in the morning and just saying, God, I receive this day from you. I receive the circumstances of this day from you. And I'm asking you to help me to see this day through your eyes. Help me to see it how you see it. It's repentance. It's repentance. And so, he leads us in paths of how he sees it. These paths are marked by repentance, right? The path of righteousness is marked by repentance. And and righteousness and repentance walk hand in hand. They're both anchored around how God sees it. Right? Right? You with me? Everybody with me? Okay. So, I want to keep going because this path goes someplace. Um, he restores my soul. I like that. I, uh, we had some problems with our video the last couple of weeks. You can't watch this on YouTube. You would actually have to go to iTunes or Spotify or to our website. You can listen to the audio of these. Um, but that, that like God cares about the soul, the essence of life. He restores my soul. He says this is what the shepherd does. He restores the essence of life and And the psalmist David, when he writes this, it's as if the essence of life has flown away, right? Have you ever felt like that? I feel like that all the time. Oh, I just, like the essence of life. He goes, I care about that. I care about that. I want to restore that. But there's a reason the essence of life has flown away. I think it's so interesting when we begin to talk about our wounds and the hurts and the things that are in our life um, that we experience All of those things have come about in our lives because somebody, most of the time me, embraced a view that was other than how God saw it because I was in pursuit of something. I wanted something. And I thought, this is the answer. This is the answer. And I want to kind of bring it to a point. What I was really looking for in so many of these instances, and this is what we're going to get to, this is where I want to go, but we were looking for rest. How many of you, now I'm not just talking about sleep, I'm talking about the ease and release of soul where we rest, where we have peace, where we have joy, and we can sit and go, man, it is good. It is good. How many of you could use more rest? (laughs) Well, if you can't, I'll take yours. Man, rest and hope are just two things that I go, God, I could use so much. God, I just feel so wrought up on the inside. I feel so tied up. I'm without rest. And I pray and I go, God, how do I rest? How do I rest? How do I, how do I find rest? The path of righteousness and repentance lead to rest. And I want to talk about that today because this is part of the work of the shepherd. I want you to see where this path goes. When it says he restores my soul, He restores the essence of life. You know what he's doing? He's leading me to rest. You want to know where I'm restored? You want to know where my body physically is restored? It's when I rest. Right? If you do not rest, your body deteriorates physically. When you don't have the soul rest that God offers, you will deteriorate spiritually. Now, if I'm in the habit of leaning on my own understanding, 
We're going to find out. I'm never going to find rest. I'm always going to be wrought. I'm always going to. I was just thinking this morning. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but it does. Psalms 2 says that God looks down from heaven and he laughs at kings and rulers. Now, I think it's so interesting that so many of us will go to the TV and we'll turn on a station. You pick your station, whatever it is. Maybe it's Fox, maybe it's CNN, I don't care. But that is God's comedy central, right? He turns that on and he laughs. because you guys think you know. You think you're in control. But have you forgotten that I've gotten that Psalm ends and it says, kiss the sun, you rulers, lest you experience his wrath. <laughs> God, God laughs at this stuff. Yet it's the place that we go and we lean and we try to find our rest. If only these guys could, no, no, no. If they get it, they'll mess it up too. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. There's only one who sees it the right way. And that's God. And if I'm going to find rest, I need to find it in the path that he's going to lead me on. So let's take a look at this. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to use this to kind of, we're anchored in Psalms 23, but I want you to see this in scripture because we're taught Hebrews chapter 3 verses 7 through 11. says this, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Pay attention to that. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they are always going astray in their hearts and they do not know my Ways And so, you know, the writer of Hebrews has contrasted two things, the works of God and the ways of God. They're not the same thing. Okay. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There it is. It's the, it's the principle of rest. You go, I don't see that tying in Psalms 23. Give me a minute. All right. I want to anchor us, right? I want to use another passage of scripture to help anchor us here. And this is Jesus now. He's speaking to the to the religious crowd in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. Look at what Jesus says. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah, and he left them and went away. Now, why do I use that? Because um, it says that in the desert they saw God's what? His works, his works. God performs signs and wonders in the desert, right? Right? And the nation of Israel loved the acts of God. They did. They loved it. When there was fire in the sky or a cloud during the day, they loved it when God parted the sea. They loved it when God sent the plagues on Egypt, except the ones that affected them. They didn't like those, but there was only a couple of those. They they loved it, you know, when the water came out of the rock. They loved it when... God did these acts. Israel knew his acts. And so here we have Israel at a later time, and they're saying, hey, give us us a sign. Do something. Do a work for us. And Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for works or signs. And then he left them. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting what that has to do with Psalms 23. Well, let's keep going. 
Um, I want to ask a question about these people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew 16. Right? We have to be able to see ourselves in Scripture. This isn't just a story about other people. We are an extension of this story. We're still living this story. It's not over. We're part of it. Right? The word of God is not just information. It's not just truth. It's livable. We're called to live it. So we got to ask a question about the spiritual condition of the people that Jesus is talking to. Because we could end up in the same condition in them if we're not careful. What was the spiritual condition of the people Jesus spoke to? Well, they were the religious crowd, and here was their spiritual condition. They were puffed up with knowledge. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I contrasted knowledge and wisdom. They're not the same thing. Knowledge is something we learn. It's something we store up. It's something we know. But wisdom is something that's been practiced. Okay? That's been something that's been put into. It's been proven. It's been run through the fire of experience. And the best wisdom comes when we are in an apprenticeship under a master, right? And so these guys had lots of knowledge. They had lots of knowledge. They'd start up lots of knowledge. They'd studied the scriptures, but they weren't much for practice in what they had read, right? They took and they kind of made it their own understanding. They ran it their own way. This is their condition. They were puffed up with knowledge that blinded them from seeing things the way God sees them. So they wanted Jesus to do a work so they could find a place for him in their knowledge banks. That's what they were asking for. That's why they were asking for a work, right? We want to see how you fit into our knowledge, but their knowledge blinded them, right? And and scripture says, if the rulers of that age, right, the, the wise people of that age, had known who he was, they wouldn't have crucified him, right? So all that they knew did not help them see things the way God saw it. Because here's the Messiah that they've been looking for, and they can't see him. They're they're as blind to him. Why? Because he doesn't fit into how they see it. So they ask him to do a work. Well, help us. Maybe we can fit you into how we see it, right? Uh, Point your finger and, and make a Roman catch on fire. That'd be great. Right? Uh, the zealots would love you, right? So they ask, and Jesus said, oh, no, no, it's a wicked generation that asks for a sign. All right, so their condition, they were not interested in being clothed with repentance so they could understand God's ways or his paths. That was their condition. They were not interested in repentance. So Jesus said, it's a wicked generation. It's an unrepentant generation that asks for a sign, right? They, they want to they fit me in rather than understanding how I see it. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Look at what Jesus says about these people. So here I'm going to bring it back a little bit. Matthew 5, 20, look at what he says. This gives a new light to what he said for me anyway. He said, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I would always read this before, and I always kind of attach this to just good behavior, right? Because that's the other mistake is to attach righteousness to good behavior. Now, I'm telling you that if you're in the path of righteousness, your behavior will line up with the one you're following, okay? But when Jesus talks about, he's not talking about the good and bad things they do. He's talking about how they see life, 
He said, if your righteousness, if the way you see what God does doesn't surpass how these guys see it, you're not even going to get into heaven. And these guys knew a lot of stuff about God. They were the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus said, they're blind guides. That's what he called them, didn't he? He said, they're blind guides. They're trying to lead you in something they can't even see. They don't have any idea how God sees it. They can't even see the Messiah standing in front of them. And Jesus said, if your righteousness, right? If your religion, the way you see how God is working doesn't surpass these guys, you're not even going to get it in heaven. Whew. Ah. So it didn't have anything to do with, right? Because these guys could give you a list of things they were doing every week. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you tithe on your mint and your dill and your cumin, but you don't understand the weightier things of the law like mercy and love, right? That's how God sees it. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, we got to keep going because we haven't even started to talk about rest yet. So I want to go back to Hebrews 3. Verse 9, I kind of answered this question, but he talks about the Israelites in the desert. What did the Israelites of Moses' day have eyes for? They saw his works, right? They saw his work. Do you know that you can see God's works and still not understand his ways? Because his ways are how he sees it. I, I say anytime you see the word ways or paths, right? He leads us in paths of righteousness. God's way is a path. They didn't understand God's paths. They didn't understand how God saw things. They just understood his works. And as long as he was doing works, they were great. But as soon as he quit doing works, they began to grumble, right? And the reason they grumbled, the reason they couldn't rest was because they didn't know his ways. Can I tell you that if you put them on a scale and you said, God, I can only have one, or God said you could only have one, which one would he have you to choose, his works or his ways? His ways. His ways. Right? Uh, Sometimes I think we're a little hard on ourselves because we pray and pray and we don't see God work. But maybe God's answer is, I want you to know my way. I want you to know who I am, not just what I can do for you. I want you to love me, not what I can do for you, right? And so, and, and the reality is that when we begin to know his ways, we begin to know his rest. So let's, let's find it in scripture. Let's not just make this something I'm making up. So as long as God was performing acts that lined up with their understanding, speaking to the Israelites, They were on board, but when God called them to know his ways, which are far more personal and intimate, they pulled back and they grumbled. Right? Why? Because they felt like if God acted, they could rest. But as soon as God quits acting, I can't rest anymore. Eh, Wrong answer. Sorry. When you know his ways, then you can really rest. So, verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 3, says they didn't know the path God was leading them in because they were not interested in being clothed with repentance. If you go and you read about this generation, God continually called them hard-hearted. They have hard hearts. They were unwilling 
to change how they saw it. They were continually in pursuit of their own understanding. They refused to turn away from it and clothe themselves in humility and say, God, show us your way. Help us to see it the way you see it so we can follow after you. So I have a question. Was there anybody in that generation that knew God's ways? Psalms 103, verse 7, says this. He made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Moses knew God's ways. Now, God continually said to the children of Israel that they were a hard-hearted, rebellious people. What did he say? Now, they knew his... Come on. They knew his, his acts. They knew his acts. Now, Moses, who knew his ways, what did God say about him? You are my friend. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, there is a pile of difference about how God speaks about the ones who know his ways and the ones who know his acts, the one who know his works. And so the, the, the religious leaders come and ask Jesus for a sign. Is it any wonder he calls them a wicked generation? Like, have you learned nothing from your forefathers who died in the desert because of their disobedience, because of their unwillingness to put on repentance and say, God, show us your way. Help us to see your path. And he goes, consider Moses, my friend, who was a steward over, matter of fact, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4, it covers all of this. You should go read this. You should go read this. This is good stuff. I mean, the whole book of Hebrews is good, but it, but it talks about this. Okay, so Hebrews 3.11, I kind of left off there. Look at what God says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Who's not going to enter his rest? Those who pursue life their way. Okay, holds up the children of Israel. He says, listen, these guys refused to put on repentance. They saw my acts. They didn't know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So, repentance leads to rest. Now, I'm not just talking about repentance after sin. I'm talking about the posture of repentance that we can put on at any time that just says, God, I don't see life how you see it. Please, help me to see it your way and to be in your path of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst and how God sees it, for they will be satisfied. Doesn't that describe rest? Satisfied. I don't need any more. I don't need any more. I don't have to get up. I don't have to do anything. I am satisfied. I am resting in the righteousness of God, how he sees it. It's not as much a statement of my condition as it is of my desire. I want to know how you see it. I want to know your righteousness. Not so I can say I'm good, because actually what I'm going to find out is when I really press into that, I will be like Paul when he gets to the end of his life and he goes, oh, I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> you want to know why? 
because he could see through God's eyes. It didn't mean he ran around in shame. He just goes, God, I need you more. I need you more. Where I'm weak, you're strong. Oh, God, help me. I can never be independent of you in anything. God, I need you. Show me your way so that I can walk with you. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What do we miss out on when we continually trust in our own understanding at the expense of righteousness and repentance? We miss out on rest. We miss out on rest. I don't know if there's ever been a generation of people that need to know the rest of God more. Everybody I meet is wrought up about something. There's a sense of unrest in their hearts. There's a sense of unrest in our nation. There's a sense of unrest in our world. What's that tell us? It tells us that we're leaning on our own understanding too much. That we've stiff-armed God. Said, God, we got some wisdom. We know some stuff. There's never been a generation that's had more access to information and never been a generation that's more of a wreck. What's it say? In the last days, knowledge will abound. <laughs> uh, and God says, boy, when you, when you lean on that and you trust in your own understanding, you, you, you take a path that takes you away from rest and you're all wrought up on the inside because you're trying to figure this out. And no matter how hard you try, it's like the carrot in front of the donkey. You never get there and you never find it. And even when you apprehend it, you find out it doesn't give you rest. It's only rest in one path. And it's not just any rest. Once you see this, it is the rest of God's finished work. Go to Hebrews 4, chapter 3. So this is all one long conversation. It's kind of funny when we read, we read chapter and verse, and so I'll get to the end of one chapter, and I stop, and I pick it up the next day, and I read. It's like I'm reading a new thought, but I'm not. It's the same thought. Same thought. <coughs> Look at what he says. Hebrews 4, verse 3. For we have believed, for we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So it talks about on the seventh day, God rested, right? This is God's rest. The, he took rest because his works were finished. There was nothing else he needed to do. His works are finished. And God invites us to the rest of his finished work. Now ponder that thought for a while and ponder this, that there is no possible way to see God's finished work in the light of my own understanding. Man, I, I mean, I look across the landscape and all I see is work. You want to know why people don't take a day off? There's work to be done. God says, ah, he goes, but I have a rest of fin finished work, finished work. God, do you not see everything that needs to be done? Whose eyes am I looking through? Mine. God says, no, no. He goes, I have a rest for those who are willing to put on repentance and to admit that they don't see life the way I do. I've finished my work. I don't get up every morning and scramble around trying to make sure everything's in order. He goes, no, my work's done. 
Like I've laid out a path. I've written it in a book. This is what's going to happen. Now you can choose to rest with me in it or you can be busy. Psalms 126, 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, he who labors, labors in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, he who watches, watches in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to take rest late. For the Lord gives to his beloved even in rest. There is no way that I will ever enter God's rest for two reasons when I lean on my own understanding. One, because I'm leaning on my own understanding, which is to put myself in opposition to God. And and two, this is where his rest abides. All right. So the world's work is going to come at you 100 miles an hour, and it seems impossible to apprehend rest. So we... We double down on our own understanding, which leads to a harder heart rather than asking God to lead us in a path of righteousness where God causes us to lie down in green pastures. So I'm kind of dipping back into Psalms 23 here. This is, he, he causes us to lie down in green pastures of his finished works and to drink from the quiet waters of his spirit's leading. The first verse of Hebrews 4 tells us to pay attention lest we come short of entering his rest. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Hebrews, Therefore, let us fear if while the promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. I want to go back to Psalms 23 for a second. The first three verses of this psalm are a beautiful progression that lead us to the rest we so desperately desire. Just, just listen to it for a minute. The Lord is my shepherd, right? He's, he's the boss. I'm the sheep. I'm, I'm, I'm under his careful watch. I shall not want. That's rest. That's rest. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That's rest. He leads me besides quiet waters. That's rest. He restores my soul. That's rest. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's really circular. It's really circular. This is how we should learn scripture. It's not lineal. It's not adding one thing to another, to another, to another, to another, and never practicing the last thing. It's circular. When I allow God to be my shepherd, by default, he's going to put me on a path, which is his path, which is how he sees it. And when I submit that and I come to that, my, my soul is restored. I do his will. He gives me the waters of the spirit to drink. And I find rest and we come back around to the Lord is my shepherd. It's circular. It's circular. That's why I can't get out of it. I'm, I'm like walking in circles. Oh God. God, I need your rest. I need rest. I need, I need my soul to rest. If there's anything I've prayed for over the last 10 years, it's rest. God, not just physical rest. I can lay down and take a nap. Okay, but when I get up and my innards are still tied in a knot, God, I'm not resting. Make sure you don't come short of his rest. God, how do I enter this rest? Well, let's start with repentance. Let's put on repentance. Let's let's put on the attitude that, that you don't see things the way I do and ask me to show you. Lead me in paths of righteousness. 
Leading means I become dependent upon you. I need you. I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. Okay? It's circular. Um, I want to give you one more point of reference for this. And then I'm going to give you a just a, uh, another passage that you can look to, into on your own. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. I'm going to read it. At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. Pay attention, pay attention, because I want you to look for some things. I want you to look for how God sees it, how man sees it. I want you to look for rest. I want you to look for all these principles we've been talking about because Jesus is going to do this here. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. Ah, man, your antenna should go up right there. All right. Who has God hidden his wisdom from? The people that think they know a lot of stuff. You've hidden this from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Who is God revealing himself to? Who is God showing how he does things? The humble, those who are dependent on him. An infant is dependent. An infant knows they need their parent. They don't have any problem. Mom, dad, feed me, wipe me, put me to bed, burp me, clean up after me. They're dependent. There's a child like, what did Jesus say? The kingdom of heaven belongs to the children. <laughs> and unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're not getting in. Right? So he, uh, contrast. All right, so yeah, you've revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. Now, let me ask you a question there. Was everybody happy that God is revealing this to infants and withholding it from those who think they're smart enough to do it themselves? Did everybody like that? Was that the world's view of how things should operate? No, but what's Jesus say? He said, but this was well-pleasing in your sight. And if I want to know rest, I need to know how God sees it because the common knowledge that's out there isn't doing it. Now, I'm going to give you a rest. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. So, Jesus said something here. Are you going to know Jesus by common knowledge? No, because if the rulers of the day had known him, they wouldn't have crucified him. Okay? Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Okay? Access, access. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So, Jesus said, I know my Father. Now, I know you think you know my father, but you really don't know him, but I know him. And the only other people that are going to know him are those that I choose to reveal to. And you go, well, that sounds awful exclusive. No, no, look at what Jesus goes on to say. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I like that he used the word all. He was not exclusive. He was inclusive. He included everyone. He goes, the only way you're going to know the father is through me. Now, he says it again. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 10, right? This is where he's talking about being the shepherd, okay? So come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What's that say right there? Not rested. Come to me, all of you who aren't rested. You're weary, you're heavy laden, you're tired. Anybody ever feel like that? 
and I will give you more work. What's he saying? I will give you rest, 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 rest. Ooh, ooh. Not just any rest, but the rest of a finished work. But what else does he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Uh-oh, uh-oh. What are we going to learn? Come on now. We're going to learn righteousness. Which righteousness? It's how God sees it. Learn from me. What are we going to learn? More information to put? No, no, no. He goes, I want to show you how God sees it. I want to reveal my father to you. I want you to see this life through his eye. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of how he sees it. For his name's sake. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Righteousness calls for a posture of repentance, which always leads to soul-restoring rest. Jesus, he, he gives us the whole picture right here. Like the people that thought they were smart didn't get it. Those who knew nothing this is, this is, I want to say something because I'm not going to do this next part. I'm going to give you a couple of references and we're, we're going to close. I had some more information, but. You've got to understand that the kingdom of God is not about our ability to do things. Because when we talk about righteousness and, and how God sees it, so many times that feels like a burden. And Jesus said, my yoke is not heavy. I'm not giving you more to do. I want to give you rest, but. It's about God's ability to lead. God said, I can get an infant into the path of righteousness. But I can't get a wise man. So it's not about what we know. And it's not about our ability. It's about our willingness to be led. So nobody is excluded. It's not a kingdom that's based on knowledge. It's not a kingdom that's based on wealth. It's not a kingdom that's based on strength. It's a kingdom that's based on the love of God. And he says, come all who are willing to find rest. But there's only one way. If you're wise, you're going to miss it. But if you approach me as the infant who is dependent on me and is saying, show me your way, God. I'm done trusting in my own understanding. It's not that I don't know stuff. It's not that I don't have to do some stuff, but I hold it very lightly anymore. What I think I know, I hold it lightly. With the attitude of, God, if you show up and you show me a different way, that's the way we're going. Because what I thought I knew never led me to rest. It just led me to more anxiety. It just led me to more disruption. It just led me to more lack. But you said you're offering rest and the rest of a finished work. God, I want to enter that rest. This is an admonition to rest in righteousness. It was Jesus' invitation. 
I want to give you one more reference. You, you can study this out on your, on your own. Um, Romans chapter 1. This is the other side of the coin. This is the warning. This is the warning. Uh, verse 18. Let me read just verse 18. We got 18 through 22 on the screen. But verse 18 says, for the wrath of God. And remember Hebrews chapter 3, we saw the word wrath. Do you remember that? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Um, this, this whole thing is based on this. Um, God's ability to lead you and how he sees it far surpasses your ability to learn or not learn. He is after you to lead you into his rest and he is prepared that he has prepared for his people. The only thing that can keep you from coming into this rest and into the path of righteousness is a stiff, armed, obstinate posture from you. It's the only thing that can keep you from this path. And Paul starts out, that's the weight of the hammer that Paul is swinging in this whole chapter. He says, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, and God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. So here, Paul's addressing a group of people who even though they see God's goodness, they see that he wants them to rest, they acknowledge that he's God, but yet they take the truth and they suppress it with their own understanding. And that's called unrighteousness. When you choose your understanding over God's understanding, that is unrighteousness. It's also what's called wicked. Now, same conversation, Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, let me say something about wrath. What did Hebrews chapter 3 tell us was the language of wrath? What did wrath say? What did God say in his wrath? They shall not enter my rest. I'll tell you what. Operating on our own understanding. This is the wrath of God is being stored up for the day of judgment for those who suppress the truth of God with their own understanding. It's not saying we don't know some stuff. It's just saying, I will take my own understanding over God's way any day. We make a practice of it. God says, you're not going to enter my rest and come my righteous judgment. Wrath has been stored up for you. That's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Yes, he would. I mean, Jesus told us. You know the amazing thing about God? <clears throat> when I was a kid going to school, right, and there was a test, I didn't like to cheat. I mean, I wanted to be able to do it on my own. 
But there was always somebody that seemed to have all the answers written down on a piece of paper. <laughs> right? Cheat sheet. Cheat sheet. Isn't it amazing that God has given us all the answers to the test ahead of time? That's his mercy. That's his mercy. He goes, I'm going to give you all the, he goes, you are going to answer these questions at some point, but I've given you all the answers. Don't trust in your own understanding. <laughs> like, use my list, <laughs> right? And, it, and it's more than just, than just learning that. But it, it, and he invites us to this rest. And that's the, that's the language of wrath. Wrath says, you shall not enter my rest. And, and I just find in my life that I can use a lot more rest. Real rest. Real rest. And I understand that that is offered. And, and I will say, over the past month, I have had more of a sense of restful, peaceful rest in my soul than I've ever had because every day when I get up, I just say, God, I don't see things the way you do. And God, there's things that are pressing on my heart and there's things that have come to make me anxious, but I receive this day from you. I receive this day from you. You're my shepherd. I receive the circumstances of this day from you. I'm not going to run around trying to change them. I'm just asking that you would show me yourself in your circumstances. Show me who you are in this because you are my shepherd and you are leading and you are causing and you are doing. And no, it's not my way. But it never was meant to be my way, not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth, just like it is in heaven. That's a repentance verse. God, I don't see things the way you do. Show me your way so I can walk with you. God, that I would enter your rest. Amen. Father, we need your rest. We thank you that you offer, God, not based on our performance, not based on our goodness, but based on our willingness. God, we cry out as David cried out. God, when he was repenting of his sin of murder and adultery, oh God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Oh God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. But then the key but, oh God, sustain me with a heart that is willing to be where you are. God, would you sustain us with a heart that's willing to be where you are in the paths of righteousness, with a heart that cries out, show me your way so I can walk with you. God, help me to see through your eyes. Help me to see through your understanding. God, that I would be clothed and postured with humility, repentance, and finding your rest. May the God of all hope so fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may abound with hope. God, would we overflow with the rest and hope that you give overflow from our lives. And God, would others that we encounter in our daily life taste and see that you are good. <laughs> taste and see that you are good. We thank you for all these things. 
And we give you praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.